Amen. Well, in a world that's filled with take, isn't it good to be reminded that we're loved by our Father? Amen. We are loved today. And I, my prayer there as I was listening to that was, Lord, just, just uh, shower us with your love this morning and remind us how much you care for us. It's a great day to be in the house of the Lord today in spite of the weather. I'm thankful for um, this season. And uh, whether you realize it or not, even though if you're like me, it seems like we just kind of wrapped up Christmas, this week really begins our journey to Easter. Uh, This Wednesday is the beginning of the Lenten season. And um, over these next 40 days, um, we begin that journey to the cross. And I couldn't think of a better time. Normally, we would take communion on the first Sunday of the month, but the choir was here last week. And didn't you enjoy the choir? Wasn't that wonderful? Amen? Yeah, wonderful time last week. Um, But that pushed our communion to this Sunday, and it's no better way to kind of enter into the first week of Lent than uh, with communion, reminding us of the journey that we're getting ready to enter into. And so... um, uh, in the newsletter this month that came out, there's a whole section in there about what the Lenten season is and what it means. But if I can just summarize to say this morning that we're beginning a sermon series today called Jesus Encounters. And it's the idea that when we have an encounter with Jesus or when we encounter him on a regular basis, because that's what we should be doing, that we should be continually being transformed more and more into the image of Christ. If you're thankful today that we can be on a journey with Jesus that makes us different all the way along, more like him, say amen, right? And there's no better way to focus during this Lenten season than to, than to begin afresh to say, Lord, would you, would, you, would you work in my life afresh across these next 40 days? And there's lots of different ways that you can do that, and I'll let you and the, and the Lord, the Holy Spirit, kind of figure those things out. If you need some ideas, I'll be glad to share with you. But as we begin this journey, each Sunday, my goal is going to be to remind you that Jesus wants to have a personal encounter with you. He wants to have a personal encounter with you, and more than just one or two in your life, but he wants, to live, he wants you to live in his presence continually, and I'm thankful for that this morning. So I just encourage you across these next 40 days to really seek the Lord afresh as we make our journey to Easter together. As I share with you this morning, we start this sermon series entitled Jesus Encounters, and uh, we're going to be taking a look at a different people throughout Scripture, kind of leading up to the cross, who come in contact with Jesus, and as a result, their lives are never the same again. If you're thankful this morning that when you encounter the living Christ, that you're changed forever, say amen. I'm grateful for that today, and we praise the Lord for that. We catch up this morning with Jesus very early in his ministry. In fact, as we, as we catch up with him today, uh, he had just been baptized. He'd called about six of his disciples to follow him, so it's really early in in his, in his ministry, and Jesus is invited to attend the wedding of what we think is probably a friend of the family, and so Jesus goes to this wedding. The wedding is in Cana, in the region of Galilee, where Jesus does a lot of his earthly ministry, and it's right here that we see some people have an encounter with Jesus, and their, their lives are changed forever. We don't really even know the names of the folks that encounter him here. They're just referenced as servants. But as often, and you probably already know, this is, the, this is the story, in your mind you're thinking, this is the story where Jesus turns the water into wine. And you're right. And a lot of times we focus on Jesus and we focus on what he does, and we'll obviously be talking about that. But I want to see the difference that's made in the lives of a couple or so servants 
that obey Jesus and are never the same again. So turn with me to John chapter 2, John the second chapter, and we're going to look at the verse 10 verses. I'll be reading this morning. Normally I read from the New International Version. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation this morning. John chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we're going to go back and, and, and look at some special pieces of it for us today. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivity, so Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Verse 4, dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always brings their best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. Father, we pray your blessing upon your word this morning. And we pray this morning that as we study this encounter with Jesus, as we study this encounter with the risen Christ, may we also, Lord, be encountered by you this morning, and may you, through your Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts and lives, and may we leave different this morning than we were when we came, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a few things I want you to see about this very brief encounter with Jesus. And I just had a thought. Can I just tell you that Jesus works in brief encounters, in a moment of time. Jesus works in our life. Aren't you glad for that? Brief encounter. That's what we see here. The first thing I want you to see is good instruction was given. Verse 5. Jesus' mother says, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Can you imagine, and you probably can, can you imagine the panic in the hearts of those who were responsible for the refreshments at the wedding this day. Now put yourself in their position because a lot of you have been there, right? You've been responsible at times for some kind of a get-together, party, church function, whatever the case might be. And, and as you're responsible for that, one of the things that crosses your mind is the thought, how many people are going to be there and how much food, drink, whatever do I need for that, uh, for that setting, whatever that is, right? We've been there before. I can remember when Trent graduated uh, from high school, we had an open house for Trent. Now Michelle will tell you this about me. She says, you always overbuy for stuff. You always overbuy for stuff. Just, would you just relax and let me decide how much stuff we need? And so I relax and I let her decide how much we need, and then I go to the store with her and buy twice as much. And I can tell you that she's always right. And I'm always in a state of panic. In fact, I think we ate taco meat uh, for like three weeks after Trent's graduation, right? Because we had tacos, the meat was left over. We had all kinds of different things, uh, crazy things with taco meat. Because we had so much left over. And the reason was because I was the one that was panicked and nervous about, will we have enough food? Can you imagine how they must have felt this day as they saw that they, were all, that, they, that they had run out of drink? They had run out of what they needed this day. Mary saw what's taking place. And she starts, has to start feeling anxious and a little bit fearful and panicked. And if you've been in that situation, you can... 
you know how you feel uh, when things are running low that you need, for, to, especially for other people. And so when that happens, I want you to notice, and you, you see it, you know it, but hear it this morning. When that happens, she went directly to one person. She went directly to who? Jesus. She went directly to Jesus. What a great reminder for us today that we don't have to live our lives anxiously. We don't have to live our lives in panic. But when our supply is running low, aren't you glad for Mary's example that we can go to Jesus? If you're glad for that, say amen. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, we normally read on because we like that, if you know that passage, we normally read, we don't, but by, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. We, we move right on to that. But do you hear the command? Don't be anxious about what? Anything. Why? Because we can go to Jesus. Mary goes straight to Jesus. What a difference it would make if we would just live our lives this way. And even though Jesus shows some hesitation here at first, he says, my time has not yet come. Even though he shows some hesitation, Mary's faith comes out just in this moment. And notice what she says to these servants, right? She says, do whatever he tells you. Now that's faith, isn't it? Do whatever he tells you. I know, Jesus, what you just said, but I'm telling these guys, the moment you speak, they need to act because I know you can make a difference. Do whatever he tells you. The problem placed in Jesus' hands, and Mary gives the perfect instruction, right? Do whatever he tells you. There are times when we do good at the first part. We place the problem in Jesus' hands. Okay? We'll go to him and say, okay, Jesus, I need your help. The struggle that we have comes next. It's the doing whatever he tells us part. A lot of times we disconnect at this point. We place the problem in his hands, and then he speaks, he opens the door, he guides, he directs, and we aren't so sure about the instructions that Jesus is giving, and so we begin to take a step or two back from doing what Jesus tells us to do. Can I just remind you for every situation, Jesus always has a plan A. Jesus had a plan in this situation, all right? And all they had to do was follow his instructions. And in your life this morning, Jesus always has a plan for every situation that you come up against. The question is, will we follow the plan that Jesus has, or will we begin to try to develop our own plan? You see, this really goes back to our human nature. Because when you boil it all down, we really hate being told what to do. Oh, no, Pastor, that's not right. We don't hate being told, right? Rewind the clock, okay? I, 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 I can tell you from fresh experiences, right? You don't have to teach a child to want to do what they want to do, right? Tell a three-year-old, you tell them, don't climb up there, don't pull on that, don't hit the dog, don't hit your brother, and within a matter of moments, they're climbing and pulling and hitting and developing other things, right? You don't have to, you don't have to teach that, right? You want to do what you want to do, and I thought this picture summed it up pretty well. Okay, you guys, come on now, come stay with me this morning, all right? Thought it summed it up pretty well. You know, and we, we know kids are this way, and we may not walk around like this, but can I tell you, as adults, when God speaks, there are times when he gives us instructions, there are times when we may not be doing it on the outside, but on the inside, what are we doing? Right? 
We don't follow the instructions that Christ gives us. We don't like to be told what to do. Deep within us, there's a desire to do what we want to do, go where we want to go, be what we want to be. And the reality is God wants to lead us and guide us and direct us in his will. He has a plan A for our lives. He has a perfect will for us. He wants to guide you and direct you and give you wisdom and knowledge and help every single day. He wants, to, he wants to develop you to be more like him. Can I just remind you that in every situation that you face, there's one goal that he has, and that's to make you more like him. Every situation that you face, Christ wants to use that and mold it and shape it to make you more like him. Plan A is Christ-like development in our lives and his desire is to do that. And we're good with that until his instruction leads us someplace that we don't want to go or leads us to do something that we don't really want to do or something that doesn't make sense or something that is uncomfortable for us. And when things get hard, and often with very little prayer, we're tempted quickly to divert to plan B. And you know what plan B is. Plan B is this. Plan B is normally plan A, reduced down to help us kind of have our way enough in it that we continue to, to feel a little bit good about what God has said and a whole lot good about the fact that we don't have to obey it fully. That's normally plan B, right? It's not fully God's plan, but there's enough of it that we don't feel too guilty about it. And here's what happens. Plan B, while often more comfortable and less risky, robs God of his glory. A plan B robs God of his glory, and it, and it robs us of the Christ-like development that he wants to begin to work afresh in our life and that we really long for. Plan B affects others too because it often robs others, think about this, it often robs others of the work that Christ wants to do in and through us to bless them and to help them and to make a difference in their lives. So they're robbed because we don't open our heart to Christ and obey him fully, right? They're robbed of seeing his glory worked through us. The servants this day, they had a choice. Mary says, do whatever he tells you to do. And in that moment, they had a choice. They could either follow his plan or they could do what they thought was best. Plan A or plan B? I've shared with you before that in 1996, 23, I guess, years ago now for me, or maybe when I was 23, maybe that's what my note means, I think that's right, when I was 23, um, after a series of difficult situations uh, in our lives, Michelle and I were searching for plan A. Long before we were called to ministry, we were just searching for God's will in our life. Searching, Lord, what, do you, what would you have us to do? Help us to know your plan and we wanted the Lord to speak, and we felt like we were willing to say yes. And I think that's where we find ourselves a lot of times. We feel like, Lord, if you'll direct me, if you'll give me instruction, I'll say yes. But often it's when the instruction comes that the real choice is made. So we were there. Lord, help me to know what you want us to do. I was working full-time in a factory. Trent and Jaron were born. They were really young. And we were for the first time saying, Lord, if you'll guide our family, we just want to be obedient to you. Well, I early on sensed that God's plan A for us was was a call to, to ministry and to begin to, to, to serve God with all my heart and, and be a pastor, which is something I'd never even considered before. And um, th there was a big problem in that. 
And you know, some of you know this, but Michelle had said more than once that she was glad she married me because her greatest fear always was that she would marry a pastor, right? And so uh, within that, I'm going, okay, God, I hear you, but you're going to have to tell her. And we were praying kind of separately and, and seeking out God's will, and we decided that our confirmation would be it, when God told me, and she felt like God told her that when we came together and we talked about that, that, that if that was the same, that it would be very confirming for us. And so I reminded God, you know, you've got to help her to know. So a period of about eight weeks goes by, and we're both praying and we're both seeking God. And across that eight or ten weeks, the day came where she said, you know what, I feel like I'm ready to talk about what God's plan is for us. I think, she says, I think God's calling us to ministry. Can I tell you that was a hallelujah day for me, right? Um, and for us. But I, I share that story with you again to say this, that Michelle really has never talked a lot about the backstory to that. She never has talked to me a lot about what happened within that eight or ten weeks, but here's what I know happened. I don't need the details to know it. Somewhere in that eight or ten weeks, Michelle had an encounter with the risen Savior. Somewhere within that eight or ten weeks, Michelle had an encounter with Jesus Christ because she was standing at a crossroads. She was trying to decide, okay, God, what is it that you want us to do? And there's lots of different things that we can do. And somewhere along the way, Jesus spoke to her and said, this is plan A for your life. This is what I want for you. And within that, she had a decision to make. Because had Michelle said, you know what, that's not for me. I said, God, that I would do anything except that, and I'm not doing that. Then we would have settled for a different plan for our life. And I often look back and I think about how our life would be so much different. How our life would be so much different today. Because a lot of times we stand at the crossroads of decision, and we don't, we don't take it seriously enough to really pray and seek out, God, what is your will for me? Can I just tell you, it doesn't matter our age this morning. We've got young people that are wrestling with that question right now. God, what, what is it that you would have me to do with my life? Where do you want me to go? Where do you want, what do you want me to be? How do you want me to live out my Christian walk with you? But whether we're a young person or a little bit farther along in life, with every decision that we face, from the great big things all the way down to the smaller things, we stand at a crossroad. God always has a plan A for us. If you believe that, say amen. Okay, some of you believe it. I'm telling you this morning. God has a plan A for us. Every one of us. Every single day. Every single week. He wants to use us. But we have to follow his instructions. We have to do what he says. Do whatever he tells us to do. His perfect plan for us starts with opening our heart to him and obeying what he tells us to do. Laying down our selfish desires, our plan, and truly listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. The servants listen to the instruction Right? They listen to the instruction as Mary gives it. Do whatever he tells you. And I want you to see they obey. The second thing here, good instruction obeyed. Verse 6, standing by were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. These servants were given instructions. They were told by Jesus exactly what they needed to do. He had a plan. And I want you to notice a couple of things about the way they respond to Jesus that should be reflected in the way that we live as well. The first thing Jesus instructs them to do, fill the jars with water. Now that seems like a simple 
enough task, right? Nothing really hard should be really hard about that. Just fill the jars with water. But these, these, uh, these guys, I want you to see, it's not in the New Living Translation, but if you look at the, uh, the New International Version, here's what it tells us about how they did it. It says this, so they filled them to the brim. Now we read right across that, but think about it. They're told to go fill them with water, and the Bible tells us how they did it. They filled them to the brim. In other words, these guys didn't just go and fill them. They didn't just go and say, oh, brother, here we go again, something else to do. But they went, and as they drew the water, they filled these things all the way up to the very top, very full. They filled them up. How do we do it following the instructions of Jesus? I mean, these guys carried them out as completely as they could. Do we do that? Do we follow his instructions wholeheartedly? Do we make sure that it's done to the best of our ability or do we find ourselves giving God leftovers? Do we find ourselves just going, oh man, you know, I don't really wanna do this, but I guess I'll do it because I kinda feel like God wants me to do it, so I'll just do the best I can. How do we do it? How do we carry out his instructions? You see, if we don't carry out the instructions of Christ, if we're not living our lives to the fullest, striving to be obedient to what he wants us to do every single day, every single week, what's gonna happen is we're gonna miss opportunities for miracles to take place. Can I remind you today that these guys, this miracle was contingent on these guys doing what Jesus was telling them to do. I mean, he wanted to work through them. He wanted their lives to be changed, I believe, that day, because Jesus could have done this without any help at all, right? But aren't you glad that every single day, every single week, that Jesus chooses to work through you and through me to make a difference in the world around us? That's where our fulfillment comes from, and that's what his plan is. He wants to work through us to see these things happening, and that's why we have to be over the top in our obedience. I thought about this. As these guys would have been trying to carry these water jugs back, this stuff would have been sloshing out everywhere, right? Over the top obedience is what Jesus wants in our lives. You say, what does that look like? Colossians chapter 3. Paul gives some instructions to, to servants, okay? And as he does that, he's describing over-the-top obedience. Listen to what he says. Slaves, you must always obey your earthly masters. Try to please them at all times, not just when you think they are watching. Honor the Lord and serve your masters with your whole heart. Do your work willingly, as though you were serving the Lord himself, and not just your earthly master. In fact, the Lord Christ is the one you are really serving, and you know that he will reward you. What's he saying? He's saying, do everything that you do as if it's unto the Lord. It doesn't matter whether anyone else, else is watching or not. Go into everything that is, that is God's plan for you, striving to be the very best you can be, because every single day of your life should be lived out as an offering to Jesus Christ. What a difference it would make in our life if every single day we said, Lord, would you receive the life that I live today as an offering to you? Don't you think that we would live differently if that was our mindset? Jesus, I don't go to work today to, to make the paycheck or to, or to, or to, or to please my boss. I, I go to work today to please you, Jesus. I, I go to church this week. I go there, Jesus, I want to worship you to the fullest because I want to go because it's an offering to you. My worship is an offering to you. My service is an offering to you. My teaching, it's an offering to you, Jesus. You know what? It's an icy, snowy day, and you know there's not going to be a full sanctuary this morning. But Jesus, I want you to know that everything I share this morning, I want it to be an offering to you. 
What if we lived our lives that way? What if we obeyed Jesus Christ that way? Can I just tell you, it would make a difference in the world around us. When Jesus Christ fills us with his Holy Spirit all the way full to the brim, can I tell you what's spilling out on the world around us? It's not us, it's Jesus. And that's what he wants to do if we'll allow him to. Sometimes we obey the instructions of Jesus forgetting what's at stake. Forgetting what's at stake every single day of our lives that we live. Can I tell you what's at stake? What's at stake is the way that we live will make a difference in the lives of those around us. Every day we should go with an expectation that we just might have an encounter, not just with Jesus, but we might have an encounter where somebody else is involved. Okay? Jesus, I, I want to live for you today. And he puts someone in our path, and all of a sudden, it's Jesus, and it's me, and it's this other person who needs to see a miracle. This day, there were a lot of people at this wedding, and others around that would see this miracle take place, and it happened because there were servants who were willing to obey Jesus. And miracles will always reveal the glory of God at work in our lives if we'll let it. How do we obey? These servants, they filled these jars to the brim, and we need to follow God's plan in that way, remembering that it really is the Lord Christ every single day in everything that we do that, we'll, that we are serving. We want to make a difference, and we need to allow Jesus to work in our lives that way. Jesus also tells them, now go dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. Do, dip this water out of the jars and take it. Now think about it. These servants would have had to really have faith here, right? Because they're thinking the master of ceremonies, he didn't ask for water. What did he asked for? Wine. And they're dipping what? They just filled the jars. They know what's in the jars, right? They just put the water in there. And he said, dip it out and take it. Right? It just didn't make sense. And these guys had to go and they had to believe Jesus enough. They had to have faith enough to believe that when they dipped out this water, that somehow Jesus would take care of the rest. I don't know how you react, but I know how sometimes I react when Jesus asks me to do things that don't make sense. Right? We question. We wonder. We say, I don't know, Lord, what you're trying to do here. This does not make any sense at all, and, and, and I don't know why you're asking me to do this. What do we do in those moments? The servants, they trusted, and they obeyed Jesus. At times, we're tempted to not really trust and obey. When we're asked to do things that don't really make sense, Jesus will tell us in our own Christian walk things like this. I want you to love and I want you to look for a miracle. I want you to love that person who is difficult, and I want you to look for a miracle. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when it doesn't make sense, I want you to love, and I want you to look for a miracle. What about when that person has hurt me? I want you to love, and I want you to look for a miracle. What about that person that's, they've been rude to me, they've betrayed me, they've hurt me. Jesus says, I want you to love, and I want you to look for a miracle. It doesn't make sense, and Jesus says, go. Take what you have. You say, Lord, all I've got is this water. Jesus says, I want you to take what you have, and I want you to go, and I want you to look for a miracle, because I'm in the business of transformation. You see, what we forget so often is Jesus is able to transform our hearts and our lives and our relationships if we'll allow him to do it. But we have to obey what he speaks. I want you to love, and I want you to look for a miracle. I want you to forgive, and I want you to look for a miracle. It doesn't make sense. 
And Jesus will remind us, the forgiveness is not yours, the forgiveness is mine. Aren't you glad today, we've celebrated it, but can I just remind you, aren't you glad today that we have been forgiven of our sin if we've accepted Christ? If you're glad for that, say amen. He's forgiven us of so much. How is it so often that we hold back forgiveness to other people? Jesus says, I will enable you to forgive, but you've got to trust and you've got to Obey, I want you to forgive and I want you to look for a miracle. He says, I want, to, I want you to spend time talking to that person that's different from you at work. I want you to reach out to somebody that you've got little in common with. I want you to open your heart to the hurting and to the broken. And all of these things in our life cause us to well up with fear and anxiety and things that don't make sense. And Jesus says, I want you to obey and I want you to look for a miracle. Transformation happens in a moment and we need God's Spirit at work in our lives so that we're living these kind of lives every single day. That when Jesus asks us to do things that take us outside of our comfort zone and don't really make sense and we don't really see how this outcome can ever take place, what we need to do in those moments is say, Jesus, I'm going to trust and I'm going to obey and I'm going to look for your miracle working power in my life. If you believe that God is still in the business of working miracles, say amen. Just because we haven't walked that way before and just because we haven't experienced God's grace in that way before doesn't mean that he's not able to do it. Capture that if you can this morning. Just because we've never experienced it before doesn't mean he's not able. These guys had never seen water turned into wine before. Can I just remind you of that? They'd never seen it before. Oh, we're familiar with the story. We get it. You know, we know what's going to happen. We kind of, okay, I know where this is going. Check, right? These guys had never experienced anything like this in their whole entire lives, and yet they still obeyed. Can I tell you, stop putting limits on what God can do in your life. Stop putting limits on how God can help you to forgive somebody, help you to love somebody, help you to serve somebody. Stop putting limits on what you think God can do in and through you and begin to open your heart to what God is able to do. He can do all things exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we can ask or imagine. So if God is leading us to it, he's more than able to do it. But we have to believe it. John Bowling tells a story about looking at some antique maps and he shares, if you've, if you've seen maps of antiquity, you know that early map makers seem to have one trait in common. He said, whenever they came to the limits of their knowledge, in other words, they're putting these maps together, and this is unexplored territory, right? Whenever they come to the limit of their knowledge, in the, in the margin of the map, or somewhere out over the sea, they would write these words, beyond this, there be dragons. And it would look something like this. Here be the dragons, right? They don't know what's out there, but this is what they would put on these, on these old maps, right? Here be the dragons. In other words, there's this, uh, this illustration depicting this monster or sea creature waiting out in the unknown, right? So it's to be feared, in other words. Now the map makers, he writes, could have just written the word unknown, Right? Or since they knew nothing about these regions, they could have even been optimists. And they could have written, beyond this point lies something desirable and beautiful. But they don't do that. They write, beyond this point, right, there's dragons out there. This is to be feared, right? They assumed that what they didn't know meant it was dangerous and they should be afraid. 
And it kept people from going where they'd never gone before. Can I just tell you in your spiritual journey, there's an enemy of our soul that wants us to believe that if we've never been out in this area spiritually before, that it's to be feared. And I want to tell you this morning that if we've never been down the road before, if Jesus Christ is leading us to a place that we've never been spiritually, it's not to be feared. But can I just tell you this morning that if we'll trust and obey, it's really desirable and beautiful. It's a place where he wants to take us, to grow us and shape us and make us more into his likeness and to his image. And that's what will happen if we'll embrace the instructions of Jesus Christ today. These servants had never drawn water and taken it to their master, trusting that it would be wine before. But this day they obeyed. And Jesus may lead you to some of those places You maybe have never had to love the way that Jesus is challenging you to love before. You maybe have never needed to forgive the way that Jesus is challenging you to forgive before. You may never have had to serve the way Jesus is challenging you to serve before. But I want you to know that if we'll trust and we'll obey, that Jesus, through the power of his Spirit, He's the one responsible for the miracle. He's the one responsible for the transformation. That's not our job. Our job is to open our heart to him and allow him to do the work that he wants to do. The obedience is up to you and to me. The work is up to the creator of all things who is more than able to do it in our lives. We need to respond the way the servants did. It says, so the servants followed his instructions. I believe it's a most beautiful statement, one of the most beautiful statements in all of Scripture. So the servants followed his instructions. They did exactly what he asked them to do. And that's what we need to do as well. And when we do, good results are received. And we see it here, verse 9. The master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from. And I love this. Though, of course, the servants knew. The servants knew exactly where it had come from because they had witnessed the miracle of transformation that only Jesus Christ can do. Can I just tell you this morning that good results are received when we open our heart to him and allow him to do the transforming work that only he can do in us. But we have to fight through the tension. You see, the reality is this. God's calling us to plan a living. He's calling us to his very best will for our lives. But what happens within us is this this struggling match that goes on between what we want and what God wants. And we have to fight through that tension And take that step of faith and say, God, have your way in me. I close this morning with a story about Alan Shepard. That may or may not ring a bell. Alan Shepard was the first American in space. And the story goes that he rode this tiny space capsule strapped on the top of a redstone rocket. And he shared this story afterwards. He told that as the rocket began to lift off and as it began to streak toward the sound barrier, the whole rocket began to shake. I mean, violently shake. He said he couldn't see the instruments. All the training that he had, it kind of went out the window, so to speak, because things were just shaking so violently. 
And the whole thing, he said, was almost uncontrollable to the point that he was ready to contact Mission Control and tell them about the condition. But he didn't because he was afraid, if he did, that they would abort the mission. And so he decided he would just hang on as it's shaking so violently. He said soon he burst through the sound barrier, and all of a sudden, the trembling stopped. And all the shaking subsided. And he was flying as no one had ever flown before because he worked through the tension of the moment. Whenever we stand on the edge of something new in our lives, there's a certain tension. But remember this morning, if we are willing to follow, if we are willing to obey, Christ is willing to lead and guide and direct and transform us and take us places spiritually that we've never been before. For some of us, we've lived on an island of plateau for way too long. We have, we have come up with plan B and got consistent or, or, or comfortable with that plan. Instead of seeking God afresh and saying, Lord, I don't want to settle, but I want you to work in my life and transform me and mold me and enable me to be all that you want me to be. And this morning, I believe that Jesus wants us to listen, to follow his instructions, and to watch him work in ways in our lives that he's never worked before. Would you stand with me this morning? Pastor Nathan is going to come as we pray. Father, I was thinking this week, Lord, and you know, because I believe you were putting the thoughts in my mind about how many miracles that we miss in us, around us, because we're too busy and too focused on plan B. And this morning, Lord, I'm thankful for the fact that if we're on plan B, that you have a new plan A already constructed for us right now today. If we're on plan D, E, F, Lord, you've got a brand new plan A constructed for us right now today. It begins with our accepting you as our Savior, but Lord, it goes so far beyond that. And I pray this morning that it, as your Holy Spirit has spoken to our hearts, that you would help us to respond to your voice this morning. You're giving instructions all across this congregation right now. Lord, help us to listen. Help us to do whatever it is you're telling us to do. Help us to seek you with all of our heart today. Help us to get back on the right path, on the right plane for our lives. We truly desire to follow you. Speak to us.